Hello everyone and welcome to Geeks Camp, the home of RPG goodness and general tomfoolery. My name is Zach and the host joining me this evening uh, is the Red Dragon himself, Troy Sandler. Greetings. Uh, the Dwarven DM, John Christian. Rawr. <laughs> Those are mixed up. Yeah, uh, well, if he wasn't going to do it, I was going to do it. So well, you know, I yeah, just yeah. Took, the, took the reins there. Perfect. And then we've also got uh, the lead game designer for The Glimmering and Gripner, Stephen Radney McFarland, with us today. Oh, Perfect. see. Man, just write his own fanfare and everything. I if I had known you were doing that, I would have like, <laughs> I would, I would have come in with you. On it, yeah, no or something. I figured everybody else had like a sound. I, I needed to come up with something. <laughs> At least Troy didn't yodel. It it could have I, it oh, could yeah. have been much more embarrassing <laughs> for Troy. I I thought about it, but eh, you know, or I could just stumble out the gate like I usually do. So yeah, yeah. Well, Stephen, I've got a bullet point list of things that uh, we could we could say that you're a part of or have been a part of. But uh, I thought instead maybe um, since we're I mean, that list is long, and we would probably get sidetracked with half of it, and I don't know which part you care to remember or relive or, or recall. So instead, how about you introduce yourself to us and tell us what what people might know you from and, and what you like to be known from. Sure. Um, uh, so I've been working in tabletop RPGs since 2000 when I was hired by Wizards of the Coast as at first the editorial assistant for Polyhedra and the Living Greyhawk Journal. Uh, uh, over that period of time, there were a lot of restructuring. Magazines went upstairs. All of a sudden, I was in charge of the RPG organized play, including uh, the Living Greyhawk campaign, which had just basically uh, started. It was a year into it and everything else. And, and I worked in that position for a while until I got fed up and quit and said, tabletop role-playing games, you've been nice. I'm going to go back into tech or whatever. And and and, uh, and then Wizards of the Coast called me back and said, hey, there's a job in RPG R&D we'd like you to apply for. And I said, okay, I'll apply for that. And then they hired me. And then I was a developer on uh, the D&D and Star Wars Saga lines uh, for a good number of times. And then, as I like to tell people, in this era of Wizards of the Coast, they like to do layoffs just before Christmas. Christmas happens to be my birthday as well. Oh, um, I survived cool. during my time at Wizards of the Coast nine, I believe, rounds of layoffs. The tenth one got me, oh. um, and I was I was actually pretty thrilled at the time. And I actually knew the day I was going to get laid off because it was like such clockwork. I just didn't show up to work that day. I'm like, nah, I'll deal with it tomorrow. I don't want to deal with it today. <laughs> and um, and then. Soon after that, uh, Paizo, uh, the folks at Paizo called me up and asked me to do freelance work on their Pathfinder role-playing game. So I started with uh, Advanced Player's Guide, went on, um, did some freelance work for Ultimate uh, uh, Magic. And uh, and then they, they called me back up and said, hey, do you just want to start coming in the office every day? And, you know, because we like what you're doing and everything else. And I said, yeah, sure. So I worked for Wizards of the Coast for nine years. I worked for Paizo for nine years, where by the time I was done, I was a senior designer uh, for Pathfinder 1, um, senior designer on the on the design team side for Starfinder and Pathfinder 2nd Edition. Um, and then, uh, yeah, nine years is about enough. So I decided to go do my own thing. I want to do things like work from home, have better control of my time and everything else, and uh, started doing uh, freelance work. Um, and, you know, one of the things I always wanted, uh, I told Paizo, I'm like, hey, can't I just live on the Oregon shore and have Zoom open or, you know, or wasn't Zoom back then, but 
And they were like, no, Stephen, we can't work like that. We can't work like that. And, and I was like, really? Cause we do live in the future. Um, <laughs> and so about the October before the pandemic, I set up my home office and started working from home with a variety of clients and everything else. And then the pandemic hit and everybody at Paizo was working from home. And then they figured out, oh, we could all do this <laughs> and everything else. And, you know, the world changes uh, due to uh, uh, viral diseases. Um, it's just it's part of history. And uh, and I was just sitting there and like, fucking told you. But um, and uh, and then. And then the folks, folks at uh, uh, Gripner uh, gave me a call, told me about this uh, really interesting idea they had of using blockchain technology to track play uh, in organized play systems and wanted a game designer to help them design that system in a game world and uh, get it off the track. And I found that very interesting. Um, and uh, and from what I... And, you know, asked all sorts of questions like you guys aren't scammers, right? Because, you know, <laughs> we know and if we know some things that have happened in the crypto sphere and we're not really getting into the finance bit of it because that was like, like, this is a game, right, guys? And they're like, yes. And, um, <laughs> and we're just we're using this technology and we're not burning down the planet and everything. Yes. And it's all like and, you know, we probably had, I would say, about a month and a half of dating before I said yes. And so for the last year and some change getting close to a year and a half i've been working on on this project which has thrusted me into a, because the game we're working on is based on 5e so in a weird sort of way back around i'm working on the newest version of DD again which i haven't done since since not officially folks not the brand DD, but the five no no cease and desist letters and everything else <laughs> the system compatible with Dungeons and Dragons, not Dungeons. Uh, I do not work for Wizards of the Coast. I have a bunch of friends that work there. Uh, I enjoy their work. I, I enjoy their their personalities and, and people. And and we don't talk about the OGL. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> well, there's a lot to dive in there, um, John. Before before I got a couple of things that I, I've, I've I've jotted down to 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 pop over to. But anything popping up in your in your notes right out the gate? Yeah. So the first thing that always gets me is. With blockchain, as a, I'm a developer by mm -hmm. my the day job, right? So the technical yeah. side of it's always the thing that that fascinates me. So you, I'm assuming you've got a team that's on the back end that's kind of taking care of the IT work of collecting data, retaining data, making yep. data available through some kind of a front end or something like that, right? So that's what is exactly the? Right. I mean, I don't expect like technical schematics or anything like that with it, but how does how do you marry? How does technology marry when it comes to um, to RPGs on the, from between you and the, and the tech side, are you talking to them at all? Or do they kind of, they're like in their nerdery, like many of us are working alone. No, I mean, um, so we are partnered with a group called revelry studios, uh, that do startups and have an amazing tech team. And so for instance, uh, so not only on, you know, the, the various, uh, digital collectibles, that are part of the system, both characters and treasure items and everything else. Like I'm, I'm the guy who sits there and says, okay, this is how it works. How can we like, how, how does this work? So I'll give you a, a really good example is um, I guess we are going to talk about the OGL a little bit. So when the OGL <laughs> debacle occurred, of course we had to sit there very quickly and re-examine um, our business, right? We didn't know, 
and you know, the weird thing about it is I, I had this weird conversation in November with my bosses and my girlfriend, Beth. And I'm like, I think they're going to try to rescind the OGL. And Beth's like, why do you think that? And I'm like, there's a couple of things in the tea leaves, but there's this weird little line. I think they're going to latch onto about authorized versions. And I know what that means, but I think they're going to zero in on that and say, we can unauthorize this, which is dumb. But I used to work at Wizard Coast. They do dumb things every once in a while. And I'm like, I think they're really going to do it. And Beth's like, you're paranoid, right? And I'm like, yeah, maybe. And then, so when it happened, I was all like, you son of a, and you know, and I wasn't, I was, I wasn't surprised, but I was still shocked. I'm like, what made you, what? Okay. And so, and so as we're talking to lawyers and my job became, went from designing games to talking to lawyers and reading, refreshing my memory, my IP knowledge or IP law knowledge is pretty good for a layperson. Um, but you know, I'm like, well, let's go back because you know, it's, it, it's been a while and everything else. It's like, okay, so if, if we have to publish this without the OGL, what does that game look like? Right. How can we make it so people who love 5e will still like this game, but without infringing upon the things that Wizards of the Coast can protect? And so we had about four or five different versions of that. And so, and that. And, and so, but luckily that background architecture, I have a character. My character goes on adventures. My character gains things through adventures. Here's how you gain things. Uh, you know, here's how this all talks together via blockchain and smart contracts, right? That didn't change. That's nothing to do with that. We'd already figured out that architecture. So of course we were going to move on with something. We just had to figure out what that something was. And then luckily Wizard of the Coast said, oh, not only are we not rescinding the OGL, and yet, like, I don't know if I believe you, but, oh, here's this on Creative Commons. And then we were all like, oh, well, this makes this easier. And then, and then, you know, a whole year of basically introducing 5e to a bunch of people who had never played before I, and, and having my own thoughts about it. We, we actually did make some changes to the game to make it easier for people who, who never played it before. Um, and in a way that even veteran players, at least in in, in in today's day and age, went, yeah, okay, I can see that. So, for instance, ability scores, we got rid of them. We're using the modifiers because that's the number that you use. Mm -hmm. Yep. And, and yeah, like, which would have been blasphemy when I was working on 3.5 or 4th edition or whatever. It's like, no, Stephen, they, they won't know what the numbers mean. I'm like, they're just numbers. Um. But, you know, and that's been really good. And we got rid of spell slots for uh, for, for a different way of doing things. And, and those were really popular when we when, when we unleashed them or play tested them. And so we kept them. And so even if even if Wizards of the Coast does something weird down the line, I still feel pretty confident that um, uh, we're not going to get zinged by it. Um, and uh, at least I'd like to believe and. And what I have is, is it does make the game a little bit easier and sometimes more fun to play. So, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, programmers really love it whenever you change requirements on them midstream. So I'm sure they were super happy to hear about like all the work that they, not all right, but enough of the work that had been done that you're gonna have to rejigger, regear, and refactor some of the stuff that they'd already done, scrap some of it, and start fresh with the rest. Um, so it's something that that hung in my in my head with that not to stick on this for too long so that your development crew or this this technical crew had they never played D, D before or 5e at all is that no, did i hear that right 
some of them uh some of them had or at least played some version of D&D. Our main technical guy Luke, he's he's like, yeah, okay. Yeah, like I know the base. Like I played D&D at the time. And the great thing about about role-playing games and Dungeons and Dragons in particular is so many of that stuff is in the zeitgeist. Um and and we do have some people on the tech team. And then, you know, it's amazing because the technical people for the most part, they're like, oh, I've never played this before, but this sounds fascinating. And so our our, our project manager, Rebecca, like she played it for the first time and, and went out and bought the books and and everything else. And and just because she wanted to learn how to do it, you know, so to a lot of the tech people, oh, this is just another tech manual. Mm-hmm. I'm going to I'm going to learn how to sort of put this together. Yeah. Um, a lot of it's uh, numbers anyway. Yeah, right. it's, it, it's, it's, at, it's at its core. It's just it's it's numeric, uh, numeric mechanics. So for right. a programmer that's like, oh, well, that, all the fluff and the flavor of that we add to the mechanics yeah. is something that's relatively should be superfluous. Really, yeah. you know, whenever they're putting it together, it's just it really boils down to the ones and zeros and how you move them around as a part of play. And I mean, in most of my career, I've been a really good mix of both the mechanical design of tabletop RPGs and and the story design of it. You know, I, I, I've always done both. I probably lean a little bit more closer to the mechanical design because that's mostly what I did with with Pathfinder and, and everything else. And so, so I have no problem talking to our tech team about it and us figuring out problems. You know, it's so for and and every week I have a meeting with the tech team where we've got a character interface. And so right now it's very fill in the blanks about your character. And I'm putting together spreadsheets of the various traits and features and everything else with, of course, all of the little, Oh, so yeah, you've got a breath weapon, but it's based on your draconic heritage and, and everything else. And this is where it's going to, you know, trip you up as a developer. And I need to make sure you understand this. And this thing has five choices involved. It's, you know, so it's one, it's one trait with five features and, and everything else. So, you know, as we go down the line, we can make an interface that's easier for players. Oh, I'm, I, I'm a halfling. So I have these traits and I come from this homeland. So I, I, I pick from these traits and, you know, and, and everything down the line. So it's good that I, you have those weekly meetings with them too, right? It keeps oh, yeah. them on, keep, uh, keeps them on not only, not just on track necessarily, but there's like a, I don't know. There's like a, a, a rhythm to the way that they, they put things together that they can derail themselves pretty quickly unless they have like specific direction. And a lot of the times it's very, it'd be very deliberate and very explicit in your instruction. You like, don't like, I know you want to be like, they, like a lot of the programs that I work with, it's like, I don't want to be creative. I just want you to tell me exactly what you want the thing to do and I'll do yes. it. Yeah. And if you just give me this like open-ended and here's a box and you can fill it however you pretty much want it to over here, then it drives, it drives most developers nuts. So that's good that you have that, like that, ongoing dialogue with them on the the requirements for it so but anyway yeah. I, I digress I, if we talk tech too long i think that uh, <laughs> a lot of folks head, head will pop. i see troy over there he's looking like at a like a cow looking at an oncoming train at this point so I'll, I'll pass the torch over to to troy yeah. or zach like that's one of the things that impressed me about gripner in general is the revelry team uh and 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 we have people uh from that team come and go and we've got a, a core group of them but they're they're the best in the business they're just a joy to work with they ask awesome. the right questions um even you know and even when they get it wrong it's like no proficiency doesn't work like that you don't double the whole score you just or expertise doesn't work like that you don't double the whole score you just like i've had that conversation five times. Right. Oh, oh 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 okay right you know um 
and they're they're very responsive and just a bunch of great people. It's great. Nice. One thing that I'm one thing that you mentioned earlier, talking about introducing people to five E, um, and and that kind of spent sent my brain spinning um, a little bit. So we've chat with a ton of people that are consider themselves five E creators in some scope or, or another, whether it's making content directly for five E or someone like uh, Level Up who's making advanced five E or something like that, right? Right. When you mentioned introducing people to fifth edition or introducing people to the glimmering, do you do you see yourself as a company that is trying to take a bite from the five E Apple? As in, like, are you is your target audience a subset of the five E audience, or is there a corner or a, a section of people that you think the glimmering has a chance of of biting into that exists outside of the five E sphere? I wouldn't say we're, we're trying to take a bite out of it. So very early on, because, um, you know, one, we're, we were kind of crazy because we took two of the most complicated things you can take in the world right now, which is D&D fandom, or at least tabletop role-playing gamers, and how pedantic that they get and how, you know, and how exacting they can be. And then you've got blockchain enthusiasts and the Wild West show that was that and, and still is to a certain degree. It's it's very much calmed down. And it's all like, oh, you want to marry these two completely crazy things to, and complicated things together. Yes, we do. Why? Uh, we love pain. Um, <laughs> and so in a lot of ways, right, we saw <laughs> it's, you know, and of course, my the, the, the two people who came together at first and said, you know, Patrick Comer, who is the president of our company, is the guy who who saw this and loves D&D and said, hey, I think we can do this because we're seeing other projects do kind of half assy sort of, you know, D&D like things that didn't really do anything. And he goes, well, D&D is just data. Like, there's got to be a way you can do this. And so, and then he's the one who brought Revelry Studios in, and then uh, our, our CEO Brent came in, um, and he he's played D and D when you know all through his life here and there, and whatnot, um, and you know, just trying to trying to figure out how to do that. A lot of it was we were reaching out to other other blockchain communities, right? Because a lot of these because they did a lot of market research and saw that there was overlap there. So our main thing was like, well, you've got people who are excited about blockchain technology. You've got people who are excited about that. We've, we've done survey information. There's an overlap there. You know, can we get those folks? And my bosses were all like, well, according to Wizards of the Coast, you know, 97 trillion people play D&D. And I'm like, don't, don't ever listen to those numbers. <laughs> those numbers are just dead wrong. And they've been dead wrong since I've worked at Wizards of the Coast. And they just keep on getting bigger, no matter what. Like, and don't get me wrong. 5e is a phenomenon. And and it's doing really well. But if you listen to the Wizards of the Coast numbers and sit there and say, there are 50 million people playing D&D, aren't wrong. Um, it's some percentage of that. A big percentage, a very lucrative percentage of that. But yeah, never ever listen to those numbers, um, uh, and uh, and so in a lot of ways, and as we started putting this out, right, we were like, well, we think that there is a group of people who may be underserved, and it's people who maybe thought, you know, I really want to play D&D, but I don't have a crew, 
and, you know, especially in the pandemic. And how do I find a group that I, you know, so separated? And, and even after the pandemic, like I'm living in, you know, in wherever the hell I'm living, don't know anybody. Can I go online and just find a group? And there, there are things like that. And can I be part of a larger community and an organized sort of play system and everything else? And so in a lot of ways, um, because even working at Wizards of the Coast, we know that there are quite a few types of gamers. There's the people who play all the time, or at least regularly. But there's also collectors, and there's dreamers. And now we have people who watch streams, and, and they buy the books and everything else, but they don't really play the game. How do we get those people? Can, can we filter some of those folks in so that they have an opportunity to play in regular games? And then as we started building the platform, especially our matchmaker platform, platform in the hall, I was like, you know, this is better than just about any sort of matchmaking convention event organizing thing out here. This is something we can actually spin off down the line once we put it together. Because I think, you know, after going through, I forget which platform GaryCon uses for theirs. I'm like, this would be an easier way to do ticket sales (laughs) and organization. And it's much more intuitive and everything else. So I started talking to my bosses. I'm like, this is a platform. It doesn't have to do with our campaign or blockchain and everything else. This is something that I think we don't need to do games and, and then they had a meeting with um, uh, some folks that run organized play in various conventions. And they were like, yeah, we like this. Can we use it next week? And we're like, oh, we're not done. And so in a lot of ways, we haven't, we never wanted to take a bite out of anybody. Um, believe, it, you know, believe it or not, much of the vitriol that uh, sometimes you hear about our this particular project, we're actually what we want to do is make tools that down the line anybody that might find ways to enhance your game, your event, your play, and using um, the best parts of blockchain. Technology. It's not all a pyramid scheme. It's not all a scheme. There's been plenty of of evidence that people use the it for that. And yeah, avoid those things. But yeah, we're not. We're actually not trying to destroy anybody. We're trying to make tools and and in uh, my level campaigns and modes of play that whether or not you inter- you interact with our systems that involve uh, digital collectibles, we think we've got a tool that you, you might want. And they're all, they're all in play. and they're very exciting. Hmm. So yeah, we're not trying to take a bite out of anything. We're trying to you know raise raise the ship like we love tabletop role-playing games and and you know it's it's been a passion of mine before i started working in the industry i've always wanted to have better digital tools within the industry we're going to partner with people um who feel the same way i was talking to the ar cane people i really like what they're doing and Mm. we talked to them a while before and i finally got my because i i backed the kickstarter I'm finally fooling around with the interface after we figured out what the hell I was doing wrong on, on a test drive or whatever it's called. I was like, oh, yeah, me being dumb. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I used to, you know, host a blog called Neo Grognard. I talked about this um, a, a lot when I wrote um, my advice column in, in Dungeon Magazine. Technology is our friend, right? It's all like we can make we can make better connections and everything else using the right kind of technology. Um, uh, so yeah, we're not really interested in taking a bite out of anything. We're sure. interested in 
providing more. Yeah. Tool sets. More tools. Yeah. Cool. Mm. Troy, I, I see you over there pondering and, and, and brain spinning. Anything that's coming to your mind there? Uh, the only thing, you know, when, when all of this came, when the glimmering came out, when Gripner made their announcement and all this stuff, you know, that was a huge topic Ooh. for a lot of our community. Um, you know, it's like, what are they trying to do? What's going on with this? And, and one of the main questions that I can remember uh, is, is this going to be something like back in the day when people would, would uh, build a, a, an EverQuest account and get their, get the character up to, you know, super high level and get all this stuff and then huck it onto eBay so that some rich person that doesn't have time to play can buy the account and now be this uber super character. And people were, were like, is this, is this that, is this, you know, somebody that has a lot of money can go in and buy all the, the NFT items and put them on their character and show up to a game and just be a, a super awesome character that nobody can touch. And I'm, and I'm kind of like, I mean, if it is, I don't know that it makes really any difference as opposed to like Adventurers League. Right, right, right. I, I mean, so I don't it, know. At least on that level, it is an organized play system, and and that's where I started with with organized play systems. And so, um, uh, I famously took a Living Greyhawk off the Cert system and onto the Adventure Record system, which for the most part people still use, except for you know Certs here and there. Um, and was I've got a petition here. And in fact, my girlfriend bought me a nice frame is to get me fired from Wizard of the Coast my second year at the job. I like my first year and a half because I was screwing it up. Um, now that screwing up caused Living Greyhawk to be an absolute juggernaut and, you know, increase exponentially year after year after year. So, so, you know, it's one of those things where when something comes in that's new, that's that is either necessary or or additive, of course, you're going to look at all of the bad parts. And so, yeah, can you play a glimmering game and get some treasure and then sell that on the open market? Yeah, um, uh, you can absolutely do that. Well, does that mean that people with a lot of money might come in and do it? Yeah. And so somebody could come in at 15th level, not play the other parts of the campaign and have a 15th level character. Yeah. Do you think he's like, one, it's a cooperative game. Mm -hmm. Like you guys are heroes working together. Um, and so... Two, one, there's no PvP in this game. Like you can't go around and, and own the noobs in the in, in this game. It's a tabletop role playing game. It uses uses those sort of aspects. And two, you're gonna find out really quick that guy doesn't really know how to play D and D, right? He's he's missed yeah, yeah. fifteen levels of experience of, you know, he's still gonna be sitting there reading all of his spells, and it's like, dude, it's it's just magic missile. Fire your magic missile. Well, I need to read to see what the hell magic missile does, right? And so, in a lot of ways, you can you can have that, but it's gonna wash itself out. Um, what this does do is like I and I'm like, we always kind of take a look at the bad, but let's take a look at the good. Is is my but I went off I went off in the service and I was in Germany or. Saudi Arabia or whatever part in them for a few years, I come back and my game group is all like, Oh, we're playing this thing and, and we're fifth level already. And, and this guy's like, well, damn, right. I've got to, 
I got to go to catch up to play with you guys. Well, not necessarily. Some guys, you know, selling off his fifth level character for what, because he's going off to the service or he's going off to college or whatever and everything else. You can pick that, just pick up that. Or I've got another one, dude. Yeah, just just throw something together and you can come play with us, right? So it's very easy to immediately go to the bad. And are there going to be bad actors in any kind of system? Yeah. And are they going to come off as kind of, you know, douchey and clueless? Yeah. Right. You know, uh, I don't know if you've been to gaming conventions, right? That thing happens all the time, you know, but it also gives opportunity to people who have legitimate, legitimate needs and, and not buried, buried within the system. And of course, like, I think in the very beginning, because NFTs were going, they, they ballooned in price for reasons, both, well, some, some might've been good, but inexplicably. And, and is just, is this just the way it's going to be? And I'm like, no, I think it's, it's going to be more reasonable. It's a hell of a lot more practical. It's not, you know, like it always, like how much were board apes going for? What do those things do? Other than if you go on Jimmy Kimball, you guys can talk about your board ape. This is actually a character and magic items that you can use within a game. Um, uh, you know, there, there are benefits to this technology. It's just nobody was actually using it uh, or trying to build in that because everybody was chasing the easy buck. Uh, one of the first things, you know, I've, I've been in the gaming industry, tabletop gaming industry long <laughs> for so long. It's like, I don't ever expect to be rich. That's not... That's like, if I can pay my bills and, you know, and, and, and buy a beer on Friday, I'm, I'm doing pretty good, but nobody goes into tabletop role-playing games to get rich. No one. And if anybody <laughs> thinks they found a way to do it, well, history has shown us they're wrong. Um, so, so, but I think there are like interesting tools, uh, that, you know, we can build up and, 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 and create better play experiences for people down the line. Um, we've got, we a, uh, I'm hoping we don't, we work very hard. <laughs> I don't want to fail in this, but you know, um, but there's a, yeah, you, you, you don't, you don't work on TTRPGs to get rich. You just don't. Yeah, no, do uh, I think we, I can attest to that and I, I can, I can, I can <laughs> confirm confirm that side of it as well um one thing that chat is asking a couple so we got we got a wide variety of of understanding and knowledge of glimmering and whatnot in the community and and in chat um for folks who maybe are listening to this and we've kind of talked about your background and we talked a little bit about gripner and the glimmering and we talked about you developing a digital tool set um or different types of tools for rpgs in the digital sphere what what could you, if somebody's coming to this and they haven't really paid much attention to Glimmering or Gripner before, and this is their first time to kind of get into the weeds of it, like yeah. how would you catch them up in a succinct way? Sure. Uh, so the easiest way to do it is Gripner is the, is basically the company. It's the publishing company. So think of Gripner as like Paizo, um, you know, uh, that's, or Wizards of the Coast, right? It's the, this is the thing. And we have grand goals. Like we want to create, um, a lot of our bits of technology, not only for the glimmering, which I'll get to in a second, but other people down the line who want to utilize these tools. We call it the Gripner Protocol. Like we're still building it. We have ideas. And, and in a lot of ways, the glimmering is the way in which we are building not only a 5e compatible um, game, which is like if you know how to play 5e, you know how to play this. There are some differences. 
like we our ability scores we just use the bonuses we don't use the scores uh we don't have spell slots you can you can keep on casting spells over and over again and you can sacrifice a spell for a bigger sort of thing we've made some changes to classes like the monk and the ranger and a few other ones that people were like well those things aren't as good as they could be and it's all like well okay we're gonna we're gonna come with with slightly different versions we've got different death and dying rules um that are a little bit more participatory they were a little bit more active um and so so there's the glimmering is one a, a fifth edition compatible role-playing game and then it's a campaign it's 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 set on this world azua within the moonstone empire the glimmering is a storyline within that world that goes uh you know levels one through 20. um it starts w with the dark and stormy night uh which was our our prelogue adventure it's going to continue with strange solstice it's going to go on to trial of the blood moon and we've got adventures that go in there and it's also but within that campaign, we also have what we call subplot adventures, which allows other GMs to make up whatever they want and run it for the glimmering. And so when you go into that organized play system, um, uh, we, we have a thing, we've got a mega dungeon called Tower of Power that you can run as a subplot in, in case you're one of those GMs that doesn't like to create things, but still want a GM for, for the thing, you've got content there. But it's a way in which your character, every single character can have a, basically half the story could be different for you than anybody else in the, in, in the campaign, right? You went on adventures that were a little bit different. So you've got the main plot and then you've got the subplot and yeah, you go on adventures. Uh, you, you face mysteries, beat down bad guys, get treasure, you know, figure out what the hell's going on. Everybody hopefully laughs and has a great time. Then it ends and the GM says sessions over then you get your loot and you know and it's it's in it in digital collectibles and you can figure out you know what you want to keep or what you want to put in the market or or you know or or hoard it all for you know god knows what's coming down the line and you know it works a, a lot like adventurers league or pathfinder society or something like that um so uh so yeah it's a protocol in the publishing arm uh we're testing out this protocol with a game world and a campaign and a rule set. And that's basically it in a nutshell. Perfect. And we've got like, that's, that's initiated a flurry of questions from chat mm -hmm. even there. Um, like what, so, so, and this would, this would have been top of my list, uh, 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 Mike as well. Um, so Mike's wanting to know, like, is the plan to sell, for, for the glimmering or to be a, a, as a product, a physical book or whatnot, or these changes that you're making and, and whatnot, are those meant to be a release at some point or all, are they already? Uh, they are not already. Um, it turns out, you know, even, you know, a year and a half with is if you, if you know how long uh, these things take to build, it, it takes a good amount of time to build. What we have right now is we have a couple of adventures we have uh, um, Deep Delve 1 and Deep Delve 2. Uh, these are basically sort of the beginnings of the chapters that are going to be in a book that are down the line. That's going to be the Glimmering Heroes Guide. And so we don't use race. We use ancestry. And then we've got homeland. And so you can be an orc from the dwarven homeland of Steric if you want. You can sort of mix those uh, two things together. And then we've got backgrounds. Um, and then we've got uh, the first level of classes in races and class. And then I'm in the middle of, of finishing up magic and uh, spells, which uh, 
you know, kind of presents the full change, which is one of the more drastic changes in there. Um, uh, so for instance, you know, magic missile in this game, if, 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 if you have magic missile on your spell list, you can plink people with one magic missile all day long. Have, have a great time. But if you want to cast those more, those extra magic missiles, you've got to sacrifice your spell, which means you lose the spell for the rest of the day. And just and and all of the spells work like this. Um, this is tech that I sort of imported from uh, in my copious free time, which hasn't been a lot uh, these days. I, I work on a, a, a role playing game I call Delve, which is sort of my thoughts on like you know, if Stephen were priest king of of, of D twenty fantasy role-playing games, what would that look like? And um, and some of that stuff actually ended up going into Pathfinder 2nd Edition. And now I'm, I'm stealing some of it to go into the Glimmering as well and, and whatnot. And one day I'll get done with that game and you can just play that game. Um, but uh, who knows uh, when that'll be because I keep on getting sidetracked by other projects. Yeah, so I, I'm going to tell a very brief story really quickly that I've already told Zach and, and Troy my first interaction with you is one you probably don't remember, and I don't blame you because it was pretty. I'm sure it was forgettable. Was that he, 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 he's definitely Fantasy, tried to forget? He's definitely most tried of, to most of them oh. are forgettable experiences with me. It was at Winter Fantasy, I think it was 2020, uh, right before the quarantine. I, and you were doing, I think, a, like a play test or an example of it. And yeah. I had I was supposed to be running a, a slot at that time. Yeah, and Les Foster, who's you know the generalissimo of uh, of winter fantasy. He's like, Hey, you don't have anything to run right now. Uh, go and sit in on that table over there and, and play with them. And I was like, I had no idea what I was going into. So I looked right. like a complete buffoon. Like, Hey, yeah, I'm it's a play a game, game with you fellas. It sounds, yeah. this is going to be really great. <laughs> and I think the other two guys that were there were like super into it, really excited. I didn't even know who I was playing with at the time. Like I'd, I'd heard your name before right, in right. the circles, right? I had no idea. I think I got like maybe like an hour into it. And I was like, oh my God, I think I know what I'm doing now. Oh, okay. I'm going to really pay attention. So, and, I was, and I was, I was already, I was, I was into it. Right. So I, as we were, as we we're playing, like I, I really got into it. So it's funny to me that it's come full circle now that you're still, you're, and you're still working on Delve trying to get it, trying to get it put together. And you, oh, this, yeah. your, this is your second edition already, or is, was that, like the open is that is it all still the kind of the same thing or, or what? No, it's all kind of the same thing. I, I mean, the the one thing I started so delve in some ways. I, I like to tell this story uh, because I was working on Pathfinder and Robert Troll was working on Fifth uh, Edition, and, and Rob would come out a lot. And Rob and Rob and I started working with each other in Fourth Edition D anD D. We get along really well and whatnot. But we'd go out to dinner and drinks and we'd want to talk about what we were working on, but we couldn't because of NDA stuff. Right. And so we started talking about what we liked about games in general and, and, and arguing about that and everything else. And we had a bunch of, uh, you know, big bonding moments. We also talked about literature and philosophy and all sorts of things in, in, in these things. But um, down the line, I was like, I'm going to make my own role-playing game. And Rob was like, I'm going to make my own role-playing game. And he made Shadow of the Demon Lord and I was working on Delve, but, uh, you know, uh, one, he just writes faster than I do. Um, and, you know, and he also, uh, well, one, he, he just, the man's a machine. And, and so 
and so we uh so in a lot of ways that was kind of a starting point our sort of frustration with our employers a little bit like we were still both pretty happy with what we're doing but you know it's all like yeah i think i could make a better mousetrap and then one of the things i did with delve is i remember it's just before a gen con he was like steven i got this crazy idea for initiative for shadow of the demon lord let me send it to you tell me what you think and i read it i'm like i don't know man that's kind of crazy like i don't think it can be that simple and he was like well i'm running this at gen con do you have time this night and i'm like yeah i can play right. and then uh so played uh played shadow there uh play test of it there we went outside to smoke and and i was like never mind rob i was wrong and i'm stealing it <laughs> just left and he goes okay and so delve has a variation of the initiative system that's in shadow of the demon lord just because it works so well and believe me if i could have ripped out the initiative system of 5e and put that initiative system in, in there too like but that was kind of like my when i first started the glimmering i was like i'm just going to take a scalpel here right i'm just like i don't want i don't want to create a game that 5e people go what the hell is this like you said, mm -hmm. it's probably compatible, but the initiative system's different, and you know, and so they're, they're, I'm not going to change the background math and and, and whatnot and, and everything else. I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna fix the things that I, that both me and other people online have said of oh, that needs fixing. Um, and I've gone a tad farther than that uh, after the OGL debacle, but um, but yeah, but if I could have put that initiative system in in the glimmering, if that would have fit basically the the paradigm of what we were doing i would do that in a heartbeat it's it's just brilliant um and rob's a brilliant game designer and and he's got his uh, uh shadow of the weird wizard coming out which i'm looking very forward to uh, like uh and er everybody should go out and buy that game because it's going to be it's going to be fun and brilliant but yeah it, so it's one of those things where because you know one i do this for a living i got to pay my bills make sure the kiddo you know get, get up early make sure the kiddo goes to school and everything else um, I decided very early on, I wasn't going to rush Delve. Delve, like there, there's, there's a point in time when you're working on it, every game that you're just like, oh, this fucking thing, right? Like, can it just be done? And I, and there was a part of me that went, I never want to feel that way about this game. It's always going to be a labor of love. And for that, everybody's like, Stephen, when is it going to be done? When is it going to come out? And I tell mm -hmm. them when it's done, you'll get it when it's done. Like, that's just the kind of project it is. I remember playing it in 2019 mm -hmm. uh, at Winter Fantasy, and uh, I, you know, it's been long enough now that I don't recall all the bits and pieces. But I remember the the magic system. And for mm -hmm. folks listening at home, I will tell you that it is very cool to be able to just cast spells and then to be able to you make the decision when you want to supernova that spell burn it to get the cool effect. It's a very yeah. cool system, and I, I remember walking away and being like, "That's." rad like i think i think we played through like that the game you ran i don't know if it's the traditional way that you run that game but it was really interesting to me um as a play test game where it's like one part running or playing the game and like two to three parts just having a conversation about yes. the development of the game right yes. and so it was fun to just just chat and hear hear you talk about why you would noodle here or what what this was about or whatnot and then and then to have these moments where you get to see it in action and be like oh that's really actually smart and simple like it's yeah. it's something that is increasing player agency and player choice and the mm -hmm. meaningful choices meaningful decisions but without adding 
additional layers of complexity that will bog your game down. And, you know, I, I walked away from that conversation. I was like, oh, there's, you know, as, as someone who in 2019 was, you know, early into this as a job was like, there's some really cool things to take away here. And it was just fascinating to sit down and watch, watch someone talk about their game Mm -hmm. and their philosophy behind certain elements. It was, it was great. I, it was awesome. Great. Mine was very, my, my was experience was pretty similar. Actually. I remember getting about halfway through, and then it just kind of break down in the in the in the good way, right? Broke down into okay, let's talk a little bit about what we've done, what we're going to do, and how this how this kind of works, right. and then it's kind of deconstructing the the play, right? And so I think what's really whether you realized it or not at the time is like I came from like I really only played D and D for. 30 years almost yeah. that was it that was like my first love and my buddies would always try to like people around here know my buddies would try to get me into some other game and i just wasn't interested it's like nah it's not you know dudes on horses whacking each other with sticks and dragons and all that stuff so i'm really not all that interested in it but like i'll, I'll tell you right now as you were like you're so passionate about it and explaining it and it was so different and weird for me at the time because i just i was so locked into one one style of play that as i'm sitting here and, and we're not only are you showing me how to play a new game that i, I think is really interesting but you're also kind of like you're divesting yourself of and how this is you what came about it like, it, like right. it tickled the back of my my brain yeah I, like the, the creative part of it is like there's more than D out there and it's part one of those things that kind of like spark these guys did it too really that uh, sparked the interest of like there's more than just this one little box that we play inside of. There's this, there are universes and worlds outside of that. So, whether you realize it or not, you were a contributor to my, well, uh, my fascination with with like all these different systems that are out there. Well, uh, yeah. Well, I could die happy. Like I uh, one, you know, I, 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 I'm I'm a bit of a teacher by nature. In fact, I like I got roped into teaching game design basically just because I went to go talk at a at a school about it. The next thing I know, the Mm. guy's like, "Hey, do you want to be a teacher?" And I'm like, "What the fuck you talking?" Yeah, and I was like, (laughs) "Yeah, all right." And so, um, uh, and 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 I had that kind of moment. I remember I I must have been about I don't know thirteen or fourteen, and I picked up the first Blood Bowl box Mm. set, you know. And, and I was like, fantasy football, right? Yeah. Okay. We'll give this a try, you know? And, but there's a section in the back of it with that had developers notes where the guys talked about the various iterations and everything else that they, they went through into create this game. And that's when the light went on because before I was just like, I was a kid. I was like, Oh, it's magic, right? Gary Gygax is a genius. Who who knows? And then, and then I'm like, oh, wait a second. This is actually a craft. This is actually something you work on. This mm-hmm. is, it's not just, it's not just some genius go, it's like, no, you try things and up, oh, nope. And everything else. And so even with, with Delve, there are still parts of the game that I'm like, well, this is like, you know, there's been, um, my save mechanic went through five or six iterations and partially is because I put it out and nobody would use it. I'm like, well, that's really powerful. And I'm like, well, I'm because it's got too much cruft on it. Like, shave that cruft off mm-hmm. and everything else. And I finally got to a part where people are like, oh, wow, this is really, okay, I'm going to do this. And it's all like, yeah, because I think I think things in games should be useful. And mm-hmm. and anytime you have a game mechanic that nobody, nobody knows and nobody uses or it confuses the hell out of them, 
well, you need to beat that into submission. It is as long as it should be, it should be kind of there. It's all like, you know, do you always have a carrying mechanic? Yeah, Delve has one too, and everything else. But that should be a like, eh, you know, it's there. I don't have to worry about it, right? Like until until the GM goes, you want to carry around an elephant? What are you? What are you kidding? Or or, or whatever. But you know, it's amazing looking back at games that I loved when I was a kid. How much kind of rules abuse we put up with because the rules mm-hmm. said and you know and we spent time arguing for a half an hour over things that didn't even matter mm-hmm. and uh and so yeah as a game designer i try to get rid of whatever craft i can i don't like numbers that mean other numbers i don't like things that are just there because they've always been there like you've got to just beat them into submission and create something that that people are actually really going to enjoy yeah i love it <laughs> One thing uh, that I found over the last uh, a few years of running games is uh, at conventions is, the, and and I think I think maybe that game of 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 Delve was the first taste of that, but I I really like getting a sense for the table early on and finding out if these are players that want to get invested in a story or a setting, or if they've came to the table because they're fascinated about learning new mechanics or new rules, right? Mm-hmm. And if you can find that table, and a lot of times what, how you'll find it is you'll find that you're at a table full of game masters, right? That have come, showed up to play a game so they can determine if they want to run it later, yada, 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 right? And it's, it's fascinating when you find that you've got one of those tables. I had one with Zweihander the other day. And it's like, oh, all you guys really care about is seeing what's interesting about this system. So now yeah. we have four hours where, yes, we're going to play through an encounter. Yes, we're going to do a story. But really, my job is to show you why this system is cool and what it does that's unique and that you've never seen before or you've never seen in this combination before. And right. that's a that's a fun that's a fun game session yeah. uh, that I don't know that everybody gets to experience very often. Well, no, and it's it, you know, and you will have it more with a, with a group of game masters because game masters, by definition, there's a lot more work there, and they actually have to think about how, things and how it goes. But you know, most people, and you know, and it's it, it sort of also shaped my my philosophies on game design. Most people they don't want the rules to get in the way. They want to they they want to be able to for it to be simple, for it to be quick for it to be visceral and they just want to get on with the story. And I would say that that's probably good 85 to 90% of role-playing people out there. And, and even so much, it's like, you know, I was running a D and D trivia event at Gary, right. Got the trivia game. That game is hard, by the way, like the, <laughs> the questions in there. And, and I was playing with one other older guy and a couple who got started with fifth edition and they were, they were very knowledgeable about fifth edition and, um, and things like critical role and stuff like that, you know, huge fans. And then this one very casual player. And I was getting of of course, like all of the second, first edition questions, like all the forgotten realms lore and stuff like that. And, and the, the woman who was part of the couple, she was just giving me the middle finger. She's like, how the hell do you know that? And I'm like, well, <laughs> I do do this for a living. Like I, I worked on forgotten realm campaigns and Greyhawk campaigns and everything else. I got a lot of useless knowledge in my head about, you know, that, that pertains around D and D, but yeah, most people, you know, uh, they just, they want to go, they want to engage in a story. 
Some of them just want to beat up bad guys on a Friday night because they've had a long, long day work and laugh with their friends and maybe drink a couple of beers or caffeinated beverages, whatever they want to do, and just sort of forget, you know, escape, right? That's the great thing about about these games. So um, I always like, you know, exploring new game mechanics and stuff like that. But more often than not, especially when I was younger, like I was fascinated with the fastest star Star Trek system. That thing is in, in modern scope. It's, it's virtually unplayable. It just, it has you do too doing too many things. And a lot of those old eighties games, you want me to do what on what chart? And, um, you know, and I, and I hate charts. Like if I have to go to a chart, I, th- I feel like I've taken you out of the game. And, you know, and there'll be some game designers like, oh, Steven charts have a perfectly. And I'm like, finish up. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I want to be able to create, I, I, as I like to tell people, I want to make games that people live in, right? That whether or not they're a mechanics junkie or they just want to escape, those are the games I like making. It's one of, you know, I, I, I've gotten to work on d and I've gotten to work on Pathfinder. Both of those games are games that people live in. I like making games that people live in. Um, yeah, and that's always that's always my goal, and uh, and I find simpler mechanics are often better. Um, more player agency is often better, and it's not only better for the player, but it's better for the GM as well. Simpler mechanics, but but there is this line, like there is this this line where if you can, if you're if you need a little bit of complexity in order for your mechanics to work alongside the atmosphere of the game or the theme of the game, then yeah. I feel like that that's worth it, right? Like, mm-hmm. is is the alien RPG the simplest RPG out there? No, but it has a system that work walks hand in hand with the themes of an of the alien franchise. And so it's worth having that minor amount of complexity to make it feel like you're actually telling an alien story every time you sit down to play. Yeah. And uh, Aliens is actually, or, or uh, th- that game I haven't even checked out yet. It's been, it's on my list of like the next time I want to go check out a new game, I, I'm going to go check out a new game. It, it's, it's kind of the bad thing is when you work on these games all the time. Sometimes you don't get to go check out the yeah, um, the games. But I've heard enough good things uh, about it where it's definitely next on my list of okay, I'm going to go check that out. So I can't speak cogently about that sure. system in general. But yeah, I mean, uh, you. Sometimes people do it and I think it's all like, oh, I'm being clever. Like, um, which is, you know, yeah, you could do it. I, the, the Marvel multiverse role-playing game, the, the play test that came out, we were playing that for a while and it played with its dice. It played with, you know, what universe the Marvel, you know, the cinematic Marvel universe is and everything else. And I'm like, oh, that's, that's cute. And I'm like, but I don't think that's a like that's that's almost like an inside joke. It's a, just an Easter egg you've put in the mechanics. I was just like, yeah, I don't, yeah, okay. <laughs> um, there are other things about the mechanics in there that I really liked, um, but I, I was like, yeah, I'm not a big fan of Easter eggs, un, mm-hmm. unless they're in a story. Like when you're throwing them in rules, it's all like it's going to be something me and five other guys get. Mm. Not really uh, my cup of tea. Although I will. Uh, I will play, um, you know, it's, there, there's a lot of, I've got a deep abiding love for Greyhawk and uh, as well the Moonstone Empire has, has a, has a, a number of Greyhawk Easter eggs in it. 
and and other kind of Easter eggs too, where um, you know I'll put them in settings a little bit, and they're more just kind of nods. And, you know, I I named one of my cities Mohan, and that's you know because Kim Mohan was a good friend of mine and and a mentor before I even knew him and every, everything else, and that's a nice dedication to him. Um, but uh, but yeah, when I say simple mechanics, they should be just simple enough for what you're trying to do. You know, it's kind of it's the Occam's razor of game mechanics. Uh, don't put in a subroutine when you can just get, you know, get to the the main thing with the routine that you put put out there. Yeah, yeah. That's that's what I always try to. Not so simplistic where it's dull. Not so simplistic that you can't, you know, have um, uh, you know feel like you you can gain mastery from it. But simple enough where you could explain it to your buddy, and he may not have the in-depth knowledge that you do about the thing, but he gets the gist and can, can play along. Yeah. Yeah. Troy, before we uh, start to wrap up here, any other things that, that came to your mind or that you want to, you want to bring us around to? No, all the questions that I was going to ask, he's already answered. <laughs> wow. Awesome. I mean, cause I, I wanted, I wanted to know about, uh, you know, the glimmering as a setting, is it going to be a physical product? So we, we got that answered. The idea that other people can write the side adventures that go on off the main campaign is something that I have been advocating for an Adventurers League, and we got it with. Uh, I heard you talking about that yesterday, so that's that's yes. how that's how yes. much you care that's about how it. relevant yeah. this conversation. That's how yeah. relevant it is. So yeah, I, um, you know, and the fact that you know the the the, the NF, NFT blockchain aspect, you know, is a tracking mechanism first and foremost not a not for anything else but i i think i've kind of gathered that if we just go when we buy the books and we buy the adventures and things like that we don't need to to do any of the blockchain stuff because that was the one thing that i think is going to it's going to take a specific kind of player in my mind to, to jump on the blockchain aspect of the organized play because you're you're getting a character that you didn't make. You know, yeah, and and actually this is a conversation I've I've constantly had. There 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 were things that were uh, when I came on that they had already decided to do. And I was like, you do know that people don't like it when you make a characters (laughs) and and they were all like yeah but this is what we're doing and i'm like okay and and so it's it's been really and and so and i won some battles there and i'm like well we're not going to give them everything they are going to get sort of choices there and and uh, and i would say probably about eight nine months they're all like okay when we do our next thing we're going to give people a hell of a lot more control over the characters and i'm like yeah because this is characters are very personal yeah and um and we've got some changes coming down the line because i'm like yeah i i think you guys are i I think you guys are paying too much attention to how folks are putting together nft products and not enough um and in or not thinking as or discounting how role-playing gamers actually make their characters and so um I think if if we knew, and by we I mean the entire company knew a year ago what we know now, though those things would have been structured differently. 
but uh, you know, basically they were like, Stephen, this is what we want to do. And this is what we're building and everything else. And I was like, uh, can we not do that? And they're like, Nope, that's already in the system. And I'm like, uh, can we not do that? And it's like, no, that's, I'm like, okay, but just realize. And you know, and they're like, yeah, okay, uh, sure. But um, yeah, so that is, that is a, a, a bit much for, for some people, other people, like at the same time, you've had everybody's like, "Oh, you want to play a character? Let's make a character." And like, "Oh, geez, can't you just give me one?" Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so I think mostly when you start talking about people who've been playing it forever and get very invested in in, in everything else, yeah, you're absolutely right. And you know, and and we're already going to come um, down the line where like there's going to be a later way that you can you make the choices of your character. You're not going to be stuck with you know, and I did little things like on our character sheet because each each one of these things you have a name, and it's a randomly generated name, and some of them are great, some of them are like, how do you say that? And and then uh, I was like, our uh, one of our tech people, I'm like, can we can I can we put a thing under it that says chosen name? And uh, and he's like, oh yeah, that's great, and I'm like, because. Cause some people are going to go with that name and other people are like, but you can call me Fred. Right. You know, <laughs> and you know, to, because yeah, it's just one of those things where at the same time, you know, I I've done this a lot. Oh, and what's your character's name? Oh crap. Oh, what's my character's name? Like, I don't know. Ask me in five sessions. Okay. Oh. I guess we'll just call you fighter until then, yeah. you know, so it, 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 it goes both ways, but yeah. Um, uh, and it, you know, and in some ways I'm like, it, it, it kind of makes the books difficult to write, you know, the deep delves before it's like, if you have a Genesis collection character, your class has already been chosen for you. But if you're not playing a Genesis collection character, you choose one of the following classes and, you know, da, 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 da. And if you are playing a Genesis collection, you'll have choices within your classes that you still get to make, you know, and it's like, you know, having, ha having those two aspects. So yeah, they're, it's one of those things where um, uh, trying to fit, you know, one group of players uh, didn't realize that there's another group of players out there yeah. in, in, in some aspects of it. So, you know, when people say that, I'm like, yeah. And then, you know, and then I've got to pay how much for a randomized generated character? And, I, and I'm like, yeah, I hear you. Um, but that price is going down. Um <laughs> And uh, which is which is which is really good, and, and you know, and as as we as we learn and everything else, we're we're coming up with with solutions to those things rather than you know because I can I'm one member even though I'm the game designer and like Stephen, you know what the heck you're doing, right? Um, there are other people involved, and they there have been other arguments, and they made those arguments with uh, you know. Uh, pretty good knowledge at the time and and whatnot but as things change and and uh and we move forward we're gonna we're of course going to make business changes that are smart for the business and for the player base rather than you know just just latching on and saying this will never change we've got one last question here from chat and it kind of uh ties in there um so and i'm going to restructure it a little bit here but you know, there's a certain segment of the populace and certainly the gamer populace that um, hears the word NFT and hesitates or, you oh, know, yeah. does the left turn. Is there is there a what's what's the 
what's the method of approach uh, to address that sort of like immediate knee jerk, for good or for ill, a knee jerk reaction that a chunk of people have? Is it a stay the course, prove it out, and just keep going and see, you know, allow people to make up their decisions at whatever pace, or do you have something in in the works or, or an objective to address that sort of, um, you know, NFT has a reputation over here. How do we address that in our company? Yeah, I mean, well, NFTs have a reputation and some of that reputation is well reserved. Also, NFTs, it's a terrible name for something. And even when you know what <laughs> NFTs are, it's a non, uh, uh, you know, fungible token. And it's all like, well, what the hell does that mean? And so so I've been keen ever since the beginning of calling them digital collectibles or just digital heroes or whatever, right? Because that, that's what they are. The blockchain system is there basically to ensure um, tracking and to have a smart contract that not only allows people to trade or sell in the way it, that ownership gets changed, but we also have a royalty system there where the creators get a percentage of that transaction. And that's a way that doesn't happen in tabletop role-playing games right now where creators ba basically get paid down the line for their creation. And that was a huge uh, thing with me on, on, on one of the things that smart contracts and blockchains could do, because, you know, that's been whittled away down the line. Um, and, uh, you know, and our first adventure is dedicated to Scott Benny, who I knew mostly virtually, but you know, a game designer that really, that when I was starting out, was very helpful and everything else. And he basically died sick and alone because he didn't have any, even though he contributed so much to to the game industry not only video not only tabletop but video games but it, by the by the time that, that he died a couple of years ago he had he had no insurance he had no resource right and and we you know we're seeing this uh with other people as well uh owen stevens is is he's got major problems right now he's got uh, humble bundles and everything else and and people should absolutely donate to that because pensions are gone, royalties are gone, and everything else. And, and you know, there's a big part of me that I really like the blockchain aspect of it because creators could get things back through the life of a thing rather than just that work for hire contract that you get, or you know, five cents a word, or however much for your piece of art, and then thank you very much, and we're going to use it. You know, I mean, the, the rumor is that. That Ed Greenwood sold the Forgotten Realms for five thousand dollars and a couple of, of, you know, and how how many times has both CSR and Wizards of the Coast recycled that content? And and Ed's a great guy and everything else, but that happens in our industry too much. So there were things in there that I like, and so yeah, I try to focus on the positives of what this technology does and hmm. don't delve into the 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 quite frankly fuckery of how people have used it to sort of scam others and create products that really have no purpose other than to make cool people seem cooler. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not a big fan of cool people um, and that whole thing. And, or to kind of, you know, create, uh, you, you know, uh, money that doesn't really work as money and stuff like that. I'm, I'm not interested in any of that crap. I'm interested in solving um, a few problems in the tabletop role-playing sphere and creating tools for not only people who play the games, but run the games and quite frankly, create the games. And I saw ways to do that with this, with this stuff. 
by sidestepping kind of the the crap that was out there that was being done by, you know, the folks that are probably at Coachella. I know I'm probably sounding like an elitist douche right now. It's all like, what's wrong with going to a music festival? Nothing. nothing. But yeah, it's this whole well. predatory sort of aspect of it, I wanted nothing to do with and made sure my bosses knew as soon as I came in. And, and they're good people. They don't want anything to do with that either. They, they like tabletop role-playing games. That's why they started this whole thing. They want to make fun. And they saw these tools as is an interesting way to do it. And that's that's what we're focusing on. I'm not going to be able to convince a lot of people here NFT and just like I've got one friend who's like, Stephen, you're being trapped by tech bros. I'm like, I don't know if you've ever met me, but I don't get trapped by anybody. <laughs> like I'll put them up the middle finger and piss on their walls and walk out the door. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Uh, uh, I, I, I would say watch your actions. And, and, uh, and I'll be the first person to tell you if, if there's something in the company that, um, even halfway smells like fuckery. Perfect. Nice. Well, we have kept you past our, past our allotted time. So Stephen, thank you so much for, this has been great. I really enjoyed chatting with you. Um, We'll put we'll put links to everything, of course, in the show notes. People can go to gripner.com, G-R-I-P-N-R, gripner.com, if they want to uh, check out more of that sort of stuff. Is there anything else, uh, Stephen, that you would point people to, or anything anything on the uh, Gripner or Glimmering Horizon that you would uh, like to keep have people keep an eye out for? Um, well, I don't like <laughs> right now. I'm so busy. Like I'm working on the layout of the newest adventure, trying to get get that out the door so people people can play it. Um, uh, uh, Deep delve magic and spells is is going to be up probably in the next couple of weeks. So if you're interested in sort of the spell rigmarole that we're going to be doing with this, that's a that's a, going to be a great primer, and we'll walk you through it. Um, uh, so much of my life, especially I mean, mostly in the the month or two before Gary Con, and then us running all of those events at Gary Con, and then after it is, is event. Eventually, I'm going to need to take a week off. Right? I'm just going to. I'm going to need to go to a beach, and just uh, sit at a beach and and uh, and have a drink of beer uh, at 8 a.m. in the morning and just watch the you know the the the, the tide roll in. But um, uh, yeah, I would just say watch what we're doing. Um, uh, I don't mind any of you being skeptical. I don't mind anybody who's like, well, maybe when I see something that I really want from you guys, it'll be there. But I do say that if you see something that you do like, and you want to come check us out, one, we're not going to make you buy anything. Like no, nobody's going to come to your door, Jehovah witness style and say, (laughs) like, uh, and you know, feel free to be uh, curious and, um, uh, and incautious at the same time, but uh, I think you're going to like what uh, what you're going to see from us in the long run. Um, I know several of our crew, our community, have played uh, in Dark and Stormy Night um, and really enjoyed that. Um, I think that those uh, they played during a virtual weekend. Um, I know that, you, like you said, you ran things at Gary Con. If people want to try out Glimmering for themselves or any part of this, are there upcoming events that they can uh, partake in? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, our play platform uh, was launched on the 30th, and that's at play.gripner.com, and you can go in there. And we have we have games that run all the time. And not only uh, we've got Dark and Stormy Night raining, um, Strange Solstice is the adventure that I'm I, I'm finishing up the layout for now. I ran uh, some sessions of that at GaryCon as well, and people were like, "Oh, that's that was fun." Um, <laughs> We've got the Tower of Power sessions, and we've also got some of our GMs running their own kind of stuff there. And so you can go, uh, and it runs all through the week or the weekend. We, we've got uh, GMs running there. Of course, that's our play pl- platform, so you're going to need a, a Gripner character. But that being said, if you join our Discord and sit there and say, hey, I want to try it out, you know, try before I buy, I'm, I'm sure we'll, we'll figure out a way to uh to get you uh, get you that game, you can also download a Dark and Stormy Night if you are a GM and want to run it. It's both on our resources page on our website, and you can also get it from um, uh, Drive Through RPG. Perfect, very Perfect. cool. All right, well, I think that's going to do it for this episode. Again, thanks, Stephen, for uh, popping in, chatting with us. Come come back again next time uh, whenever you have something that you want to chat about, uh, yeah, release or whatnot. We'd love to love to pick your brain Thank some you. more. Um, Thanks, chat, for asking good questions and and staying engaged. Appreciate you guys. Um, We're going to be back on Tuesday with some more chatter. But until then, thanks a lot, and we'll see you next time. Play great games, everybody. And if you know, you know. Stay safe. Be kind. Take care. Don't kill anybody. (laughs) Word of wisdom. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode and you want to continue the conversation with us, go ahead and head on over to our Discord. There's a link in the show notes, and you can always shoot us a message on Facebook to get a link there as well. Uh, While you're at it, if you wouldn't mind, give us a like on Facebook. Give us a subscription over here on your podcast feed. Uh, Give us a review and some stars while you're at it. That would be awesome. That's the way we get in front of more people. And if you want to watch a live show, we're live almost every Sunday and Tuesday on Twitch and YouTube. And you can find links to all of that right there in the Discord. We'll see you next time.